If you can't say anything nice dear listener, then write it down and monetize it. In this episode, your tea-spilling hosts find themselves wading in the hot goss of the term, where they discuss the timelessness, morality, and gender of scandal. Without further ado, Talk of the Turn, The Duke and Us, Episode 5, Scandal of the Season. Dear listeners, I'm Erin. And I'm Elle. And we're two of the over 82 million households that fell deep into the Bridgerton series, and we can't like things in a chill way. In this episode, we are dishing hot Regency goss. As we know, Bridgerton the series is based on Bridgerton the book series, and in the first book, The Duke and I, which is what the first season of Bridgerton is based on, both of these use the Lady Whistledown scandal sheet as a framing device in the way that they tell their story. We think it's a really great framing device. And so we wanted to delve a little more into just the notion of scandal sheets and gossip and how that fueled the ton. Yeah, who doesn't love gossip? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who denies it is a liar. Yeah, even the queen loves it. Even the queen loves it. (laughs) Don't lie to yourself. Don't think you're above (laughs) Hearing a juicy piece of news. That's right. And Bridgerton has a ton of juicy pieces of news that are part of the story. The main one, I think, is the one concerning Marina Mm -hmm. and her pregnancy, because that's talked about often in the voiceover Mm -hmm. narration by Julie Andrews as Lady Whistledown. Yeah, and it affects the most number of people. It affects the Bridgertons, it affects the Featherbrooks, it affects our Featherbrooks. <laughs> the Featheringtons. <laughs> the Featheringtons. And and yeah, and Mar- you know, Marina's whole thing too. It's shocking in that, you know, it includes premarital sex. Mm-hmm. It includes trying to possibly corner someone into a marriage when they don't know all the information. It includes bypassing the possible we know it's true love interest of penelope mm-hmm. so yeah i think like it's i don't know it's the most far-reaching scandal i would yeah, say yeah and it's series. it's the and the twist of it is is you know we've discussed this before that marina's not really a character in the duke and i and she's not even a character in penelope's story later on mm-hmm. but in the netflix series they make her a part of the duke and i and a part of penelope's story and a part of colin's story and so the main twist here is that penelope is lady whistledown and marina is her cousin Mm -hmm. and penelope and marina are close in a lot of ways they are inside their household they're kind of on the same level and they get each other in, in a way and penelope doesn't necessarily want to put her business out there she doesn't want to drag her family through the mud necessarily yeah but at the same time she's not gonna let anybody trick colin into marriage yeah she's like super friendly to her first and like i you know i think we see the both of them as like being each other's like confidants and stuff yes. but when marina's plans start to upset 
Penelope's wants, I would say. Not even her own plans, but like her... Mm-hmm. Her heart's this, desire. Like, yeah. I don't know. I think it's definitely... It's relatable. Like, I... Yeah. I mean, it's... Penelope's like a super sweet character. And so, like, I think that for something to make her sort of spread that negative gossip because she does stay away from it from a very long for a very long time i don't know what i would do in that situation i guess it's also interesting because they make sure that in the beginning you see lady featherington gossiping herself among her friends mm-hmm. during a ball talking about light skirts and women who mm-hmm. give it up easy and it turns out she's got one in her house and now yeah. and now she's got to deal with the fallout of people gossiping about her own light skirt in her house and the implications of that with her other with her daughter when you and see those, those same two friends really kind of snub her talk behind her back later yeah. like when this is all revealed it's all gossip to them right right as long as the story is not about them they're probably gonna enjoy it yeah because yeah. people can be that way um, yeah. unfortunately but yeah, so Marina is a is a big one. She's talked about a lot in the Lady Whistledown scandal sheet, at least through the Bridgerton Netflix series. And we also see gossip, not necessarily in the scandal sheets, but more as whisper campaigns with Nigel Burbrook. Mm-hmm. Because we see when he tries to force this marriage upon Daphne. So one of the things about this period of time when households, gentry households, aristocratic households, households where people had money also had a lot of staff who existed in the house and were meant to be flies on the wall. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They, They were there and they were privy to a lot of personal information and goings on inside of these rich people's houses. And it was known that staff gossip with each other so, mm-hmm. so if you're staff of one house and you're meet and you see someone from another house that you know you might start talking shit about your bosses as as one would do right and i could forgive anybody for wanting to talk shit on their boss to let out steam yeah so one of the things that comes to bite burbrook in the ass is that the staff of the bridgerton house and i believe it's lady violet's mm-hmm. lady's maid Mm-hmm. Who's like, oh, I heard. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So Lady Island fights Burbrook's mom. And Burbrook's lady's maid is hanging out in the kitchen with, mm-hmm. with I think, actually Daphne's lady's maid. Yeah. And the housekeeper, who I think maybe initially was Lady Violet's lady's maid. Anyway, she, like, makes Daphne's lady's maid kind of, like, snap too. And then... As soon as the housekeeper, like, leaves the kitchen, the lady's maid nudges Nigel Burbrook's mom's lady's maid and is like, housekeepers, huh? Real pain in the neck. Like, whatever she says. And then she's like, you must have it pretty easy over there with just Nigel and his mom. And then Nigel Burbrook's lady's maid is like, oh, no, 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 girl. Listen to this shit. Yeah. And then, holy crap. She gets pumped for information. Yep. And Lady Violet uses the information about... Burbrook having a buy blow that he does not support a bastard child that he does not financially support and starts this whisper campaign against him so that everybody in the ton that matters, whose opinion matters, now knows that Mm -hmm. this guy is a piece of shit Mm -hmm. who has a child that he just sent out there to rot in this world. So in, in that way, they were able to take him down and remove him as a, a marriage threat <laughs> to death. Well, and it's great because it shows for as much hierarchy and like stiff, strict positions that everyone has in this world, 
they're not so strict that communication doesn't exist between them because it makes its way among the servants, but then that also transfers over to the tradespeople, and then that transfers yep. over to the gentry. Yep. It, these people are talking to each other, whether or not it's proper to like divulge information to your servant it's still happening yeah because they like definitely you can see them all at dinner they're standing there almost like furniture waiting to be you know waiting to serve one of my favorite instances of a servant being brought into the conversation is later when simon and daphne are going through their marriage woes Mm -hmm. and they're doing that whole very silly thing of tell your grace oh yeah (laughs) like i want to (laughs) whatever and that poor young man is like should I really Do I tell really her that? have to? <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, I he's felt like, so bad right. for him, but that's yeah, like a yeah. He's like she's real... like four feet over there. Do you really want me to? Tell her? Yeah, that's like a real awkward moment where you're like, this is this is like a marriage fight, and yeah, I don't want to get silly. involved. Yeah, but they're there, like they're you know they're yeah people. they're they're there in the room often. Mm-hmm. And they do have lives outside of the work that they do. So they have conversations and they have relationships Mm -hmm. and people they talk to. And word gets around easy, I think, in small towns and little communities. Yeah. A lot of these great houses, even out in the country, a lot of these great houses are little communities in and of themselves. So everybody ends up knowing your business in one way or another, generally. And in Bridgerton... We see it where it's formalized. There's an actual paper, a scandal sheet that dishes it all out. And another one of the scandals, I will say before we move on from that, is with Cressida Cowper. And it's not really in the scandal sheets, but it's more of her threat of scandal. Mm -hmm. Because she hints at Daphne that she saw Daphne go out into the garden with Simon. Yeah. And that is enough. That is enough for Daphne to know that... If I don't resolve this very quickly, mm-hmm. this is going to explode and go everywhere. So I have to marry this man or else I am ruined. Yeah. So it kind of goes to show how quickly a little spark of gossip can cause a blaze and just burn someone's world down. And how aware they all are of it. Yeah. It's that in the instance of Burbrook, they use it for good, basically. All of the, you know, these women start this well, machine that they know will what will come of it. Um, well, it's like yeah. information is power, right? Even right. even in gossip, like information is power and you can use it for good or for bad, especially in this time where reputation among the upper classes is everything. Anything that sullies your reputa- reputation in any way can be a threat to your entire livelihood mm-hmm. or it can feel that way. I'm sure very high school in that way <laughs> yeah. where because you're in this small community, in this closed group. Everything feels heightened. I am I'm so interested in gossip, not just the meat of it, even though it is kind of fun to, especially to read old gossip, it can be very <laughs> fun and funny. But I think it is an inherent thing for yeah. humans. I think it's part of human nature. We communicate with each other and it's not only, not just fact-based communication. You know, we're not just communicating for real purpose mm-hmm. even. A lot of times we communicate for entertainment and we're social creatures well and it's always fun to read and listen and maybe even spread gossip that's not about you (laughs) like that you have no when you have no skin in the game and so that's like you know that's um, the best kind yeah because you you don't think about it coming back to you but like that's why you don't have to care about the people either right they're removed from you they're just like an abstract idea yeah this person has having to deal with this bullshit yeah I mean, reality shows are basically 
gossip furnaces. They're yeah. basically just perpetual yeah. motion machines of gossip. <laughs> and so, true. like, you're just watching people do, let's face it, pretty mundane things that you yourself could and probably do do. And you get, but you get to watch them from a distance and then gossip to your coworkers about look at this like stupid reality show character and the dumbest thing they said on screen or whatever. I would never do that, but you probably would. And like, yeah, yeah. I think it's just, it's very human nature to watch each other and observe and pass judgment on each other. Oh yeah, for sure. And as much as we love an underdog and a Cinderella story and someone rising up, mm-hmm. We also very much enjoy seeing people fuck up on a major scale, Mm -hmm. which is why Twitter is so popular. (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially if there's like hubris involved. Oh, yeah. Like they seem untouchable in some way. If you are hoisted on your own petard, we want to see it. (laughs) We want to see it publicly because if you are the reason for your own misery, oh, there's nothing more delicious. Is there? No. I mean talking about being dad no right yeah yeah (laughs) that's my greatest that's the greatest thing that's happened to me in 2021 yeah john roderick is on twitter (laughs) come on and then watching them double down yeah it's like yeah i don't know it's it's there is some kind of i'm sure there's like deep you know psychology behind all of it but but suffice to say it's interesting and everyone does it and everyone talks about everyone and there's no shame in that And I think the enjoyment of it in a way, especially if it's like a large scale spectacle where it's like a becomes a national conversation among people is almost probably the same thing that people who are really into true crime, that part of the brain that gets triggered. I think it is a reaction to the fear of that happening to ourselves, right? Sure. Or the wonder of what would you do exactly in that situation. It's a a very self-serving kind of thought process that a lot of us have that's very much human nature is like oh, that could never happen to me. Yeah. Because I am too smart. I am too clever. I am too rational. I would never do something like that. I would never put myself in that situation. But the fact is, that fear is always there because we're all capable of major fuck-ups. And so I think it is that. I think it it kind of helps almost like in a haunted house kind of way. Oh, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Helps us face that fear of that could be us. Yeah, because it causes this introspection also of A, what would I do? But also B, what is the correct thing to do? And the answer is there is not, probably not one correct thing to do. Or identifying where did this person go wrong? Yeah. So it's such an open-ended investigation of yourself. I really don't know what I would would do. And and so that then generates all the conversation. There's this perpetual like generation of conversation and questioning and introspection. And it's, it doesn't have to be big time stuff. It's just enough to like get it going. Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those things that I don't, you know, when people kind of shame the whole idea of it, it just rubs me the wrong way. There is such a thing as malicious gossip. There is being too invested into gossip and, mm-hmm. and being too interested in like sharing people's um, oh, yeah. personal stuff. That's like a whole other deal. Yeah. We are talking about more of the, the public eye and society level gossip. Yeah. Right? If you're like going online and like straight up cyberbullying someone because of <laughs> yeah, what someone on D-List had said... Like, that's on you. That's some synapse that's misfiring in your brain. That I think. There's just this, oh man, why did they wear that thing? And then you go about your day? That's totally harmless. Yeah, exactly. There's no preventative measure for it. No one's going to invent a cereal that's going to keep us from wanting to gossip. Right. Um, (laughs) Right? God, I hope not. (laughs) We 
we'll talk shit because we are shit talkers. <laughs> so my favorite thing about Lady Whistledown, speaking of shit talkers, mm-hmm. yeah. is major shit talker. <laughs> yeah, is that she uses full names. And that was her hook. Yeah. People were like, oh, she's actually putting it all on No blast blind out there. items here. No. Nope. No guessing. None of that, none of the, that dash bullshit. Nope. Mm-mm. <laughs> we're using full on people's names and you will not have to guess yes. what I'm talking about. And I love that because nothing ticks me off more like a blind item. Because I'm like, yeah. you know what? I don't care then. I'm not going to yeah. give. What's the purpose? I'm not going to give a shit about Mrs. M and Mr. F. If I don't yeah. know who they are. Oh, okay. Someone picked up someone's glove. If I can't place a face to the name or whatever, I'm not going to care. So I think Lady Whistledown knows that. And she knows that about me personally. <laughs> oh, for sure. She knows that about you. And I've just got to say, I'll put it out here right now. Les Miserables, quit being a coward. Quit being yeah. a coward. Put the names out there. Yeah. I don't want to see this dash bullshit. Get your head out of your ass. <laughs> I just like, yeah, nothing pisses me off more. It's annoying. Even at work, if someone's like, oh, you know, so-and-so, and they literally say so-and-so, and they'll like uh, name like a, a location at like another branch or whatever. I'm like, just say who it is. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, don't tell me. Or yeah. Or just shut up. Like either way, <laughs> I'm not interested. A, you're, you're either wasting my time or you're going to get me invested. And there's no middle ground there. So yeah. Ugh. It's like she's brave, but also she's, that's just, you know, part of her characters. She doesn't give a shit. No. She just puts and it all she's, out there smart like yeah. she she did this the right way the first couple scandal sheets that she made were free like they were just mm-hmm. given away and then once she got people hooked getting all the hot goss from her yeah. she's like no now i'm charging an exorbitant amount yeah <laughs> she's like hey kid you like hot yeah. goss yeah first one's free yeah for, <laughs> the first taste is free straight up the drug is hot goss yeah and she's got it and you can get that first taste for free but no more <laughs> no greater high than the first dish of hot goss no <laughs> yeah but and you know also about her for as much shit as she talks she's also like pretty complimentary too she's the one who names daphne as the diamond of the first water calls her the seasons incomparable or whatever i really feel like she gives as much as she gets to like she yeah. um, you know she's not it's not just reading people to filth every sunday no. or whatever it is and i think that's partially because that's not interesting right like just t- just straight up talking shit about people i think the popularity in the series obviously it's fictional but part of what makes Lady Whistledown scandal sheet so interesting both in this fictional world and just as their own kind of separate written pieces is that there's a lot of thought put into them it's gossip but it's editorialized mm-hmm. her opinion on these things is woven in there and she's also in a way philosophizing turning the gossip onto the reader and saying hey just imagine being in this situation think about the society that we live in that values these things there's a point to the gossip too there's a message yeah. to it the way that it's written in the show and i think in the book as well because it is in a way philosophical yeah um, while also being straight up gossip. Yeah. Yeah. She's super smart. <laughs> and clever. The way that she words things is interesting. And she's a just a good writer. Penelope is a writer mm-hmm. who wants to be a writer. <laughs> yeah. And she found a way. That was kind of her outlet, basically. She was like, I will 
make my own live journal and I will put it out there. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like super observant too. Yes. Yes. Very. So you may have noticed that when we end our episodes, we use the phrase XOXO, which comes from Gossip Girl, which was a teen book series that came out in, I'd say like the mid 2000s, like maybe 2007-ish that I read. It was actually like They started uh, being published right around the time that I started working in libraries. So it was like perfect timing (laughs) for me. All of these other librarians who were like around my age, which we'll say I was like in my mid-20s, I think that's Mm -hmm. it. At the time, were super into these teen books that were literally called Gossip Girl. And I was like, what? What are you guys reading? That sounds like trash. I was just very like, you know, ugh. Gossip Girl was part of this new wave of YA, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this prep school kind of like series, you know, um, series heavy fashion. Like they talked a lot about fashion. And Mm. it's really not that much of a step from like Sweet Valley High, to be honest. It's like a little bit of a darker, bitchier Sweet Valley High. (laughs) But yeah, I've read the first one and they're super like... They're they're written like a um almost like a USA Today paper. They're written for like middle oh, schoolers to read. Yeah, yeah. You know, none of it's like super heavy or whatever, but it's freaking fun. Yeah, I was just super hooked. So in that, just like the ser- just like the Bridgerton series, which came out before actually, came out in two thousand, the first book, they're framed with this gossip columnist but this one in gossip girl is there seemed to be one of their peers they i think they do use some blind items but i think they also do talk about real full names too i can't quite remember but it's very very similar in that like you know you don't know who this person is but you know that they are in this world and of this world enough that they can kind of make these these judgments or whatever. And it's a closed society. Too, in, right? Yeah. In this like upper East side or upper West side. I don't know. I yeah. Don't know the geography of Manhattan. Really. When you think about Daphne, she's, I forget how old she is. She's like 20 or something. Right. Yeah. She's, like, she's fairly young. Yeah. So like this world is still very young in that kind of way. Scandal sheets can affect people of all ages, but it is, it is like a nice crossover of, um, I don't know when you hear Julie Andrews, talking in Bridgerton and, you know, uh, saying basically XOXO Lady Whistledown, even though she never says that. <laughs> yeah. It feels very like that, very contemporary in that kind of way. Yeah, for sure. It brings it into kind of a new era. And I do think that in our book review of The Duke and I, we kind of talked about how the Bridgerton series and The Duke and I especially being the first in the series um, is like 20 years old, over 20 years old mm-hmm. at this point. How, you know, some of it does feel a little bit outdated because, you know, of the context in which we're reading it. Can't get rid of those 20 years in our minds. <laughs> society has moved forward on a lot of things. But I do think it's important to say that, like, you know, the success of the Bridgerton series as a, a book series is due to it also being part of a new wave of, of romance and historical romance. And it treated historical romance a little bit different. And it was an update. Well, and also in, like, for, like, the Regency era specifically, um, you know, it's like all patriarchal eras. <laughs> it's it's all, yeah. like, you know, you're, any history that we read and, and things like that, we're getting from the lens of the successful men, the successful yeah. white straight men. And yep. to turn a framing device from the eyes of a young woman I mean, they don't know that she's a young woman, but we know now that she, you know, is Penelope. 
to turn it into this kind of like female lens that becomes the like understood language is a really interesting way to push that that female aspect forward which i think is is cool i don't know about you but i always feel like i'm way late to the trend that's why, when I started hearing rumblings about these newfangled gas lamps, I jumped right in and ordered 20 for my home and garden. It's about time that the Joneses tried keeping up with me! What a fool I was to order so many lamps, not thinking that someone would have to light them every night! What did I think? That I would have the time and energy to light 20 lamps a night? In this economy? Ha! Just as I began to sink into the despair of my own making, Luck herself pulled me out by bringing John Clark, lamplighter extraordinaire, into my life. And to be honest, this isn't even a paid ad. Mr. Clark is just truly the light of my life. And at his low, low prices, he can be the light of your life, too. Visit Mr. Clark at Denmark Street near St. Giles' Church to ogle his globular lamps and let him light your fire today. So, I've done a lot of reading for this episode. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear what you found. I have gotten deep into Regency gossip, <laughs> as deep as I can get. In reading up on the history of scandal sheets and social papers, you know, gossip of the Regency era, I came across a lot of interesting personalities, <laughs> <laughs> as I'm sure you can imagine. And... One of the personalities is actually um, the uh, editor and owner of the Morning Post, Henry Bates. Hmm. Mr. Bates. <laughs> Mr. Bates. Master Henry Bates. Bates. He, Master Bates. <laughs> As a young man, I'm sure he was Master Bates. Well, you're going to enjoy this part. So <laughs> Henry Bates was actually, before he got into the gossiping business, he was in the clergy. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. And he inherited... A rectory from his father who was a, a parson and he left it he left it to become a gossip columnist he was like Sweet. you know what putting up the robe i want to talk shit mm -hmm. and the thing is is like in this time gossip was no light or easy business if you were going to be out there putting your name on shit talking mm -hmm. rich people and aristocrats people were going to want to fight you yeah that makes sense and he knew this <laughs> Mm -hmm. He went in fully understanding that people were just going to want to duel him all day, every day. And the thing is, he was really fucking good at it. Sweet. <laughs> like, I, I kind of think he enjoyed it. And the thing is, is like, he was not a big dude. He was kind of a, a smaller dude. And he was usually the smaller guy in the fight. But he won them. Wow. All. Maybe he had God on the side. Uh, yeah, God, God was with them. <laughs> In all, all of these duels, of which he fought many. So many that he became known. He had a couple of AKAs. <laughs> and one of them was the fighting parson. Uh. <laughs> and the other was the paragraphic parson. Ooh, I like <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, alliteration for you. Yeah. He founded, possibly not founded, but he, he was the editor and owner of the Morning Post, which is one of the major sources of Regency gossip. Mm -hmm. And he ended up leaving after um, he got married. He ended up leaving the Morning Post to start the Morning Herald. Oh. So he's someone who was very successful in the newspaper industry and very specifically in writing gossip about people, writing gossip about society. And, I mean, putting those knuckles up. Yeah. He did it all. 
Henry Bates. Legend. He was like, the pen is just as mighty as the sword. Yeah. Yeah. He actually, there's a, there's a story of one of his duels where someone was like real, you know, big mad, right? Mm-hmm. And found Bates in a tavern and was like, we're fighting right the fuck now. Wow. Bates is like, cool. Let's go to this room. Let's go to the side room. And, and so they duel in a room in a tavern with pistols. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn. They both get their shots off. Neither of them get shot because, <laughs> because, and so since neither of them got shot, they moved on to swords. They also just had swords there. Wow. And so Henry Bates ended up bending his sword on this guy's breastbone. <gasps> so the sword was not even like sharp. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so he ends up bending his sword on this guy's breastbone and is in the process of trying to straighten out the sword <laughs> with his foot on the floor <laughs> when the cops show up. <laughs> That's some real, like, Looney Tunes type shit. It is beyond... It is... It is comical. That's very silly. A lot of work to not kill each other. But, you know, he put he put in the work, is what I'm saying. He did, he did what needed to be done in order to be in his field. And I think he was respected because of that. Yeah, I bet he <laughs> at was. At least a little bit. To be like, let's go. Yeah, at least a little bit because these people were not very well respected because they were shit talkers yeah. and they made money off of talking shit. Well, and that's the other thing is that, like, I think gossip rags now, which, let's face it, they're mostly, you know, gossip blogs like Perez Hilton yeah. and stuff. They are notoriously, you know, cowards about yeah. stuff. And so, like, it's interesting to hear about this guy who was like, no, I said what I said. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, whatever. He's like, yeah, no, I, I put my name on that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Come find me. That's right. I know that you don't really like blind items, but <laughs> the gossip and gossip columns weren't just for or about the rich mm. and, and the aristocratic. There were also newspapers that targeted common folk. Oh, wow. Um, you know, merchant level folk. God, didn't they have enough issues? Oh, right? <laughs> There was specifically, it's very short-lived, like I think it existed about three years, but there was a paper called The Town that was very specifically targeted to the working class. Mm -hmm. And they had a gossip column in their paper called Facts and Rumors. Ooh. And it ran a little bit like page six. I've got a, I've got a couple here for you. Oh my gosh. For your enjoyment. And don't want to hype it up too much, but (laughs) they bring me a lot of joy. It is a fact that Nichols, the Bromley omnibus conductor, is perpetually railing against his mistress. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit! Yeah! Juicy! Juicy! And it named him! It named him and said (laughs) said where he worked. (laughs) You know that omnibus conductor in Bromley? Constantly fucking his mistress. (laughs) Damn. I got another fact for you. It is a fact that a certain gentlemanly lawyer's clerk residing not a hundred miles away from Stockbridge is very frequently engaged in pleading a certain bar in that town in the cause of Cupid versus the landlady's friend. Ooh. So this guy is thirsty on me, yeah. basically. Like he's he's out that he's at this bar and he is trying to get in. Yeah. Get it get it in. <laughs> get it in. Yeah. And like and everybody knows. God, he, how embarrassing. Is, this is the last of them from the, the town, from the Facts and Rumors column. It is a fact that Dick Ryder, the butcher of Bond Street, has a vast idea of his own powers of lading killing politeness. And that's right. His name is Dick Ryder. <laughs> I didn't even catch it. 
Dick Ryder. So wait, lady killing politeness. I don't know what that is. But he sounds like a Dick creep. Ryder. He sounds like a creep. Probably. <laughs> oh, you know, you're probably right that he has a vast idea of his own powers. He probably is like a Nigel Burbrook type. Yeah. His name is Dick Ryder. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, sucks to be him. <laughs> right? Yeah, lady killing politeness. He does sound like a Burbrook. For sure. I love that. I have, um, I, there's a lot on this guy, but like, I, I didn't go into it too much in my own notes, but I just needed you to know this okay. fact that one of the known and kind of popular gossip journalists of the time was this guy who got into it late. He was in his 40s and he got into being a gossip columnist mostly because he wanted to air out his personal grievances. That sounds about right <laughs> for a dude. Which is right. And also for money. And you know, that's, yeah. it's, it is what it is. But his name was Captain Philip Thickness. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me his column was called Down with the Thickness. It was not. Damn, I'm sorry. Damn. But I just need you to know that there was once a Captain Philip Thickness. Captain Thickness. Guess whose cat just got a new nickname. Because <laughs> <laughs> my cat is a fat boy. Captain and I don't, I don't know. I know barely anything about him, but I love him. <laughs> he was probably terrible. <laughs> I love that, like, it was mentioned that he got into it late. Yeah. Well, like, he's a captain. He had a whole career. That's true. That's true. Yeah, who knows what you hear on the high seas. Yeah, and I think being a captain, I think he was fairly well-respected, so he was allowed, like, he was a, a guest in a lot of, kind of, like, um, uh, a lot of homes, a lot mm-hmm. of... Um, yeah, and they travel. Club. Yeah. Yeah, so... I love that. Captain Thickness. Damn. <laughs> There's also John Bull. He's no fun. He was, like, a straight-up villain. Like, John Bull y- utilized his paper... Um, and his his gossip columns to to blackmail a lot of people, which is Ugh. bad. He's not a fun dude. Was he like the whoever that head guy is of TMZ? Basically, <laughs> he was a a bully Ugh. and would yeah just make up shit and be like, I will print this if you don't give me money. And like that's damn sucks. yeah. And the thing is, there was a lot of a lot of that happened. A lot of that did happen, which is kind of the the downside, the more malicious side of of gossip, yeah. and especially for-profit gossip yeah but don't want to end on a bad note so i i have this is the the juiciest one this is my favorite one of the gossip columnists of the regency era and maybe a little bit beyond dr james hill Hmm. really unassuming name mm-hmm. he's a combination of perez hilton and elon musk <gasps> wow what a interesting combo if you can imagine so he he was a writer he was a columnist he did a lot of gossip he wrote for the the london advertiser Mm -hmm. and the literary gazette he was a known troll and he considered himself the first personality columnist because he would really he signed his name he would inject a lot of like his own kind of opinions and he was a bit of a clout chaser because he he regularly went after celebrities to kind of build up talk mm-hmm. but the thing is his his columns because of the the things that he said so boldly were like also very easily disproven mm-hmm. so it, he was widely mocked and hated just openly people fucking hated him because he everybody thought he was an idiot and his columns required so many retractions oh, that gosh. he became a that he became a laughingstock yeah. and, and a target for the creative people that he targeted. <laughs> oh my gosh. The Regency area was a time when people were very much about their wit 
right. and being clever. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was a flex because people were in the town, in the upper classes. They were very well educated, reading a lot, and so to flex like your intellect, especially in the form of an insult, mm-hmm. was like a sport for them. Yeah. And these newspapers, these magazines, these columns. I was reading. There was one magazine called I think it was just called Gentleman's Magazine. Straight to the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what it is for them by them. It's for gentlemen. <laughs> and there's actually a, a couple of archives, which are really great. They're digitized. Hmm. And they're an interesting read. But, you know, the first couple, you know, pages are like, you know, what you would expect. Stuff on, like, land management, bullshit, yeah, whatever. boring. But, honestly, the majority of this magazine, as much as gossip is usually gendered as, like, a female thing, which I think is part of the, the societal attitude towards it. Mm-hmm. But this gentleman's magazine, for the most part, was a forum for men to talk shit back and forth to each other (laughs) because the majority of it is like letters to the editor, which are like responses to other people's previous letters to the editor responses to articles from previous issues. So basically my small town newspaper. Yes. Yes. 1000%. It's your, it is your small town newspaper. It is, it is the comment section. Yep. Oh, like the Facebook thread of, yeah. Yeah, it is the comment section on your small town newspaper's website. Mm -hmm. That is... That is what a lot of these places are. So people were really out there and, and, you know, putting their ideas and their thoughts out there because writing was much more accessible to people. Mail was much more accessible to people. So there was a lot of written information that was being put out there. Yeah. And a lot of that, and, and magazines especially, were personal opinions and people publicly fighting with each other (laughs) yeah because again human nature we make fun of like people who put out their business online and like openly fight online but that's nothing new we 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 are messy like (laughs) yeah that's like not surprising to me like i especially given the amount of distractions and like time management crunches that we have in this quote-unquote modern life or whatever mm-hmm. take yeah. some of that away the fact that we that people still make time to go into like a deep dive burn thread on facebook yeah. now yeah imagine if you had more hours in the day or you know yeah, imagine, more time. imagine being part of the rich idol class <laughs> like, yeah where you really don't have much to worry about much to do you you have a lot of time to fill up with things and so crafting witty responses and crafting clever takedowns of people to like post in your men's magazine yeah that's kind of how part of how they socialize and probably also part of how they brag to their friends of like look what i said yeah i'd be into that back to james hill okay because he is he is like i said a perez musk (laughs) the worst the worst kind of musk a perez musk (laughs) so I've got a couple of quotes here for you because he lived very publicly, right? So after there were so many retractions in his his column, after one of his many retractions, one of his critics wrote a, a pretty incredible verse in response Ooh. and put it into one of the one of the papers so that Dr. Hill could see it. Mm-hmm. Right, I'll okay. do a reading for you of this verse. What Hill does one day say he the next does deny and candidly tells you tis all a damn lie dear doctor this candor from you is not wanted for why should you own it tis taken for granted <laughs> so yeah i love basically that. Uh, basically He's we like, all know you, you fucking lie two-faced 
little bitch. Yeah. Yeah. We all know you lie. You don't have to tell us. <laughs> we, we all, none of us think you're, you're telling the truth in the first place. But what I like about James Hill is that, like, man's got nothing to lose. He's like, like, you know what I mean? Like, out there. He might as well just put all that shit out there. Because, like, if they're all publicly making fun of him, yeah. yeah. I'd be like, okay, then, who cares? He was one of the original twitter trolls yeah like he he th- i think thrived in causing all of this drama i think he lived for the drama so much so that he like he also went into many public quarrels with novelists and poets people much more clever than mm-hmm. him honestly he punched above his weight i think all of his <laughs> life but one of the famous quarrels that he had was with society darling of the time actor and, and theater manager david garrick so garrick managed a production of a farce that Dr. Hill wrote. And the farce was apparently so bad that the audience hissed it off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it did, it did oh not my land. Gosh. My so, yeah. favorite thing in the world is when, because, like, I don't know. So, well, and I, I should preface this by saying it's not like I tend, like, things where, you know, people get booed or whatever. Yeah. But... I have in the past because I sometimes attend this show called Elvis Birthday Fight Club, which is around the, um, it's in January around Elvis Presley's birthday. And mm-hmm. it's a like stage performance of a fight club between prominent celebrities. Like these people dress up as these celebrities and they have this very fake fight club. It's like a Punch and Judy kind of thing. And you're encouraged to boo and hiss when like the bad guy comes out or whatever and my favorite thing is that everyone boos but there's only like one or two people that hisses and it's like (laughs) i love someone whose instinct is to like hiss at something that they don't like like. just imagine just imagine an entire crowd hissing (laughs) it's like it's like unheard of yeah i love that and so this disaster of a play that Dr. Hill wrote, which I think is indicative of, I think he, he wrote these columns because he thought himself a writer. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a feeling he probably went after novelists and poets because he wanted to be yeah. a novelist or poet. They hate and me because so they ain't me. Yes. And so yeah. he writes this play thinking like, oh, I'm going to prove it to people that my creative talent is like good. Right. And then, and then it just becomes, <laughs> it flops. <laughs> and so... Hill, embarrassed, obviously, right, mm-hmm. used his column to write a multi-paragraph hate letter oh to Garrick, blaming him for the failure of his play. Oh, shit. And Garrick's response was tantamount to responding to, like, a long, angry text with Kay. Ah, <laughs> yes! So, I've got it for you here. This was the entirety yes. of his response, and it's um, kind of perfect, and I love it. For physic and farces, his equal, their scarces. His farces are physic, and his physic a farces. Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a read. That he, like, burned him in, like, what, six lines, four lines, yeah. whatever that was, or whatever. That was, that was two lines. And he's, like, basically die mad about it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, He's like, I see you run yourself into a tantrum and I'm going to like put my basically, you know, metaphorically put my hand on your forehead while you're yeah. swinging at me. He's like, you're mad at me? Your whole life's a fucking joke. Yeah, I love that. I <laughs> like love that's that. basically he's like, yeah, you you are a joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry about your life. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> 
And so and the thing is, too, like, Hill was basically just a, an upwardly failing eccentric weirdo till the very end. Mm. He made a lot of money in his gossip column somehow. And after retiring from doing the gossip columns, he <laughs> he poured his life into putting together a 26-volume study on the vegetable system, uh. which included over 27,000 illustrations of plants. <gasps> Did he, he draw them? I don't, I don't know, but that is dedication wow. to something. But towards the end of his life, he really leaned in and became a complete medical quack. Wow. He made a ton of money selling, you know, like bogus herbal treatments, right? Sure. I mean, I feel like that's a hop and a skip from being real into veggies. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Like, he, you spend that much time learning botanical Yeah, you think the eggplant can do some, like, crazy shit. One of his best sellers was an herbal treatment that he touted as the, the best treatment for gout. Okay. And being just the absolute embarrassment to himself that he was <laughs> to the very end, Dr. Hill died of gout. <gasps> no! <laughs> and so... Self-burn! And this is... And this is <laughs> How, and this is how hated he was after people learned about his death and learned that he died of gout, even though the medicine he made a ton of money on was for gout. Wow. <laughs> Somebody published an epitaph for <gasps> him. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's, <laughs> okay, here it is. Poor Dr. Hill is dead. Good luck. Of what disorder? An attack. Of gout. Indeed, I thought that he had found a wondrous remedy. Why, so he had. And then he tried. He found it true. The doctor died. <laughs> imagine imagine you die and then someone's like, I'm going to write this funny poem about yeah. you. <laughs> I'm going to slam you in this poem about how your medicine killed you because you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I do wonder, though, if he'll, you know, would love that people cared enough about him to like probably even, like, burn, you know like read like you're still like talking that. about me though that's probably his attitude like you're still talking about yeah me, so i win yeah oh my gosh that's amazing yeah, so, uh, dr hill a fucking character probably a real asshole i was gonna but... say like that's the kind of person that you would absolutely not want to know in real life but to like no. read about them you're like oh you weirdo you, you scam you silly weirdo yeah, <laughs> yeah right yeah, he he got up he got up into a lot of trouble, and also it's just good to know that uh, again those personality types are also nothing new. <laughs> yeah, I mean, true. Hey man, hey man, hey man, apothecary, the sailor's disease. He cured my heart and my cat. Nina, Pinta, and that sweet Santa Maria. They gave me scurvy, every journey. Ships with no fruins won't leave me in ruins. I want a bottle of Merton's Drops. Hey, John, get me on this crazy thing called health. Stop by John Heyman's home on the south side of Golden Square today for your bottle of anti-scorbutic Meridant Drops. Remember that the real deal Meridant Drops are only sold out of John Heyman's home, and that is not weird at all. Tell him the curvy scurvy sent you. Discount not guaranteed. No time to waste. Let's make haste. When we were talking about doing an episode on gossip papers and scandal sheets, I was thinking of why 
would they exist? Well, they would exist because the, I don't know, the unspoken or maybe somewhere spoken law of etiquette was so strict. And so something that we would find not at all scandalous today was super scandalous back then. And I found this great book that is called Jane Austen's Guide to Good Manners. And it is, it basically outlines Jane Austen's correspondence to her niece, Anna Austen, who was a, um, also was interested in writing. And it's, it was full of like tips on like how to talk about characters with gentility or, you know, what, what kind of character would do and what kind of scenario or whatever. But it also ended up being a pretty great etiquette guide. So... I thought I would mention a few of what to do and what not to do's that I found interesting that we can definitely see in Bridgerton, but also in other like Regency stories, obviously, including, you know, Jane Austen stories. So persons of higher rank should always introduce persons of lower rank, which I thought was interesting. So, you know, whenever you see a ballroom thing, I do feel like there's this like understood hierarchy involved. And like whenever I've, you know, read about it in in books or like seen it on screen, I don't necessarily exactly know what that hierarchy is or like who's yeah. supposed to say what to who and when. So I thought that was like an interesting note. And I think we see it in Bridgerton and obviously in uh, other historical romance, but um, there is that thing of like, I can't. I can't talk to them because I haven't been yeah. introduced. Yeah. Where it's like it, you basically don't exist and you don't have any right to talk to somebody unless they, they are willing to acknowledge you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if they're of higher rank. Yeah. So like the networking system is very interesting. Like you like to be someone in the know, you have to know someone in the know. It's the whole like who it's a you weird know members thing. club. Yeah. yeah. And that still is like very much a thing of now can you imagine going to a ball and like you're just like a mister or a miss or whatever and like you don't really know anybody and like you just don't get introduced so you don't talk to anybody yeah (laughs) that would suck yeah it would suck it would kind some i don't know it depends on the party (laughs) true because i feel like i've been to pretty like silly swanky art parties in washington dc or whatever yeah where i'm like i just want to camp out at this snack table yeah, and no, for just, sure. Just like he- overhear gossip. Like I don't want to have to interact with anyone. So in that instance, I would be like, "Yeah, no one knows me." <laughs> but yeah, if you saw someone like hot, you'd be like, "I can't talk to them. I feel like they're maybe a earl or something." So no, it's out of the <laughs> yeah. out of the scope for me. Oh, my second point for what to do, and this is uh, referencing earlier, is to remember that servants have ears. That's right. So as we see in Bridgerton, that is actually used to their advantage when they're able to start that whisper campaign about Burbrook and kind of just let nature take its course there. I thought this was interesting, um, especially when we see Daphne and Simon after she follows his advice and touches herself for the first time and then she sees him in the street and then there's a you know he's kind of come to grips that he can't really lead her on anymore and sort of Mm -hmm. rejects her but uh, it is good manners that if you are out in public for the gentleman to wait for the lady to acknowledge him first so you should not see a man going up to a woman and speaking which god wouldn't that be amazing (laughs) if that was still (laughs) It's actually a rule I, I'm I'm very very much interested. Like in. yeah, um, like if I was like taking my afternoon walk or whatever, and it was just understood that a man doesn't talk to me. Hell yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'd be so into that. Honestly, it should still be a rule. Yes, 
It is good manners for a gentleman to call after the morning of a ball, specifically to whatever partner, you know, is kind of like the principal catch of his eye. So um, that's we definitely see that with uh, Daphne and Marina. I think there's like a, a, a weird kind of a, a known rule of like if you dance with somebody like three times or more mm-hmm. at a ball, then it's like everybody's like, oh, you two are like into each other. Yeah. Three times is like a lot. Like that's definitely like we're into each other. Like mm-hmm. two times I think is like the like you can get away with whatever, like dancing to whatever. But three and then you definitely don't want to dance more than three dances with the same partner that night unless you're like betrothed to them or whatever. But I liked, I, (laughs) from my reading, I really appreciated the point they made about how, like, the purpose of calling the next morning is not only to be like, hey, I'm into you, or like, let's see where this thing is going, but also because that's when people had the most shit to talk about, because they had just gone to this, like, function. (laughs) Right. So they're, like, meeting up to have their little hot goss sesh. Yeah. Who was wearing what? Yeah. Who was seen with who? Literally... Sipping their tea, yeah. having, having their tea party, <laughs> spilling the tea, yeah, doing all of it. Which I love that, because like, if it was just like a random Thursday, they'd be like, oh, your needle p- point's going pretty well, right? And that, that'd that be it. Like, that'd be your conversation. Um, so let's go on to the fun ones, which is a uh, what not to do. Oh, I need to know that. Um, so a lady may not call upon a gentleman. Okay. So... Um, Yeah, I thought that was interesting as like a, you know, um, it's definitely underlines that whole like men are chasing women, men are asking women, you know, um, for women's hands and things like that. Um, There is uh, later in the Bridgerton book series, I feel like there is an instance of a lady calling upon a gentleman and he's like, oh, like, um, I want to say, I want to say maybe it's um, Francesca. When she calls upon uh, her love interest without giving too much away. But um, mm-hmm. anyway, so I just thought that was interesting because I was like, oh, yeah, I don't, you know, you don't really see that um, a lady calling on a gentleman. Yeah, well, Francesca's different. She's yeah, like she's, other girls. yeah, she's lived a life before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at dances, if I'll lady... have to cut that out because that that will make no sense. Oh, that's true. That's true. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> um. So at dances, if a lady refuses one gentleman, she may not accept another for that same dance. Um, That's bullshit. Yeah, which I thought, well, I don't know. I thought it was like kind of a neat way to like not snub someone. Like, yeah, I guess. I guess it's a way to smooth kind of the yeah the, rejection. Like, I definitely, yeah. I mean, I think it does suck. Like if, you know, you got Nigel Burbrook asking you every damn time if you want to dance um but hopefully that just like wouldn't be the the case i guess like if if he asked once and you said no hopefully he's just not gonna ask again and you can be open for the next one um but uh yeah and then to um to come to the main you know almost gossip that simon and daphne were um you must avoid showing open signs of affection and that kissing even if you were engaged is out of the question wild um yeah like you're not even like kissing i mean you know who knows what happens behind closed doors but like you're not even supposed to kiss someone before before you get hitched to them for life but it's also one of those like dumb rules that like barely actually exists like yeah. it's one of those things that's like wink wink nudge nudge just don't let anybody see you right right even like even um 
uh, Lady Violet Bridgerton is like, you know, back in the day, you know, oh, that's dad right. and I, we were overcome by our passions before marriage. Yeah. She's very <laughs> and Daphne's like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like, she's like, sometimes we couldn't like help ourselves. Yeah. I was like, mom. <laughs> yeah. So like, but it's like, that's a real, like, I mean, if you're like, I don't know. It's a lot of these rules uh, were, we know are dumb and very yeah. patriarchal and very like, not about women's autonomy or like respecting women's choices. No, not at all. Whatever. Well, and then when you see, and also prudish as fuck. Oh, so prudish. Yeah, because like when you see Simon and Daphne, like yeah, in that garden scene, they're not just like making out. Like his hand is fully up her skirt. She, oh yeah. Her hand is like down the back of his jacket. Like they are like mauling each other, and so it's like they' about to get down, and mm-hmm. like you know, I I just can't imagine like what like amped up scandal that would be you know if um if someone other than anthony you know had really seen them because it's still up in the air as to whether cressida really saw them saw them or just saw them go into the garden together which would have been enough i think to question her um and then lastly um i just wanted to point this out because i thought it was really interesting when you think about people like the cowpers and like um lady featherington um is that jane austen had said um that she made it clear that like too much polish or too much like care about fashion or your hair, um, you know, can actually give someone the opposite appearance um, of having uh, um, like a good character. So like they would be, they would be flawed, you know, possibly in some way if like, like they're too vain. Yeah. And so that's why Daphne also sticks out in that. And Simon too, in that they're kind of like effortlessly beautiful. Like mm-hmm. they're, you know, um, they're sweet to people. They know all the rules, but they're not like showy with knowing all the rules. Yeah, um, they're no, they're no Lady Featherington just putting every single ornament on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or like, or the Calpers with their like super done up like braided hair and like, yeah. you know, and like really making it a show that they know, you know, exactly what to wear and when. Um, and so I thought that that was like an interesting like mark of character that like you know, all of these rules exist, but you almost have to appear as if you don't know the rules. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. have to appear as if like, you know, you just couldn't care less about the rules that you're this naturally, you know, whatever person and that you navigate God. through all of these circles what effortlessly. In, what impossible standard. Yes. Oh yes. And I, uh, I think people... that there, it, there's similar com- comparisons that could be made today. Like, oh, for sure. You know, like with people, like women wearing makeup or like um, someone's like body shape or whatever. It's like you, you know, we want a woman to like eat a cheeseburger and drink beer, but we also and not wear makeup. Her. Yeah, and not wear makeup, but we also like really love like you know how fit she is and like you know it's yeah. like that's you know again mostly yeah, like, woman centered. Like yeah, especially like e- even even like motherhood where or, oh, or yeah. like you know partnership where it's like yeah, I want, you know, my wife uh to take care of everything. Um but I don't want to feel managed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like so you you want someone to manage your life, but you also don't want to feel managed by Yeah, them. be perfect that's but don't let wild. the cracks show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it. no, there there's certainly there've always been kind of impossible standards to that you know that everybody is kind of held to yeah. in one way or another. So I think that's another thing that makes, you know, scandal and gossip so 
enticing for us is that it's like it seems like an inevitability it's an inevitability that people would step outside of these strict you know etiquette rules and like and even today same like it's inevitable that you would make a mistake or you know fall on your face or whatever and so there is this shared like fascination but also like i would say like empathy (laughs) for people who do that um and that's what makes it so interesting no, for sure. And I think it's, you know, to circle back to um, gossip in and of itself, trying to slap morals onto it or like shame onto it. I don't think it, it in and of itself, it's morally good or bad. Mm-hmm. It just, it is. It, it's part of human nature. It can be bad. Like John Bull was malicious right. in right. the way that he, he leveraged gossip to... Um, extort people and to blackmail people and to you know um, gain foothold in society i'm sure he caused a lot of people a lot of pain but we also know that gossip can be used for good for spreading information that that people should know about that they might might not otherwise it's not public and back to nigel burbrook and that whisper campaign launched by lady violet bridgerton so that everybody knew what kind of man he was, mm-hmm. so that he was no longer an acceptable suitor for her daughter, who did mm-hmm. not want to marry him, who he was trying to force into marriage. So, that you know, there there are ways that it can be used for good. There are ways that it can be used for bad. A lot of times, it's just innocuous. It's just people talking shit, as right. people will do. Right. And I do think too, one of the interesting things now is how much our sensibilities as a society have changed and are continuing to change when it comes to the type of gossip we're willing to accept and like the level of it. Right. Especially when it comes to public figures and how it affects them mentally. Mm -hmm. And I think the most known, uh, (laughs) most easily considered example of that is Britney Spears, Mm -hmm. where I, I don't know who you thought you were in 2008, but the majority of America in 2008 was very accepting of watching this mental breakdown mm-hmm. of, of a person in in the public spotlight um somebody who now in in 2020 2021 we with our better understanding of mental health the the mm-hmm. pressures of celebrity and stardom especially someone who started extremely young who was a child actor turned international a pop star and also just her the general conditions of her life as well and her conservatorship we have such a better understanding of the the pain in her life and the pain that that the paparazzi and that and that gossip um, and the gossip mill caused her mm-hmm. and so it it's not palatable that kind of thing the hounding of people yeah and the you know um, stalking of people to get information on them is is not palatable and I think too the other uh, fl- the flip side of that is that celebrities today have much more control over yeah. their representation on social media because they can put out all of their own, you know, paparazzi. There, there's not much to be sold picture wise because they can post their own pictures. They can carve and structure their own story in a way. Well, and I think that that's an important distinction to make is that what's been happening in recent years, I think some are calling quote unquote cancel culture Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's not <laughs> like no one is canceled. 
you can't do that. <laughs> like, that's not something that you can do to another person. Guys, um, have no fear. Bean Dad is not canceled. <laughs> yeah, like... He's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing the consequences of your own words and your own actions and how mm-hmm. are they interpreted when you double down on shit, which is what Bean Dad did and what a bunch of idiots do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can have negative <laughs> impacts on things. But what we're seeing, I think, now is, like, people being gossiped about, I guess, because of their own output. Like, what they say themselves, what they attribute to their own name. Whereas with, you know, someone like Britney Spears, who was the product of basically a famous machine and like and also knowing the issue that the NSYNC kids went through with their manager and like there's a lot more that's come out about the music industry I think since the dawn of downloadable and streaming music because production companies as we know it don't exist in the same way anymore and with their downfall I think a lot of those sort of wires were shown to everyone about how that stuff even worked in the first place Mm -hmm. and so that thing of like We know better, now we do better. So gossip, sadly, isn't victimless. No. But I think what we're seeing now is it still exists, but it's when people shoot themselves in their own foot. (laughs) Yeah, and and it's usually directed towards these public-facing people, right? Yeah. And kind of exactly what you said. Like, they they fuck up in, in some way and don't correct. Yeah, and if they get, like, a sneaker contract canceled or whatever... Boohoo! Like the we're talking yeah. about billionaires. <laughs> like yeah, we all we all have we all have setbacks. Right? It's fine. Yeah, seriously. I know that the, the dog pile that can happen yeah. online yeah. is not healthy no. necessarily. I think that there can be you know there there can be a little bit of mob mentality when it comes to certain things. Like that, it's just fun to to be part of that group that's like taking someone down or whatever. I guess yeah. I don't I don't do it, so I, I don't know. But I think there there must be something psychologically compelling about being part of a group that's kind of like trashing on somebody right yeah and probably something powerful in that but at the same time i i don't think i've seen anybody be run through the mill of quote-unquote cancel culture something that i like to think of as more accountability culture sure yeah (laughs) that didn't play some role themselves right in, in what came to them you know right but even though the sensibilities have changed a social paper they still exist even while gossip magazines are not as popular, and even gossip blogs are maybe like waning in popularity a little bit, mm-hmm. now we have this generation of like YouTube commentators. Oh yeah, their, their whole deal is finding drama on the internet and apprising everybody of drama that exists on the internet, and most of that drama is like YouTuber related, yeah. it's like personality related, and like they That's said the thing. this. It's so interior. It's yeah. like the you know. It uses its own ma- like machinations. Like it is. To, it's like it's, it's so interesting. A, it is. It's like its own little like ecosystem <laughs> yeah. of like drama and like commentary on the drama, and then like drama <laughs> about the commentators. It is very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's an interesting development in how we deal with drama, yeah. public drama and gossip and all of that, and also proof that we still like it very much mm-hmm. people people still like it very much those channels are very popular and drama that explodes on youtube can garner 
millions, tens of millions of views. So people are still very much into witnessing <laughs> other people's gossip. I, I was actually just thinking the other day, I was on the desk with another librarian and I forget what they were reading, but it was some kind of YA book to like making a book into a movie and there was already like drama with like its production or cast or whatever I don't know and mm -hmm. the librarian I was working with said you know why I love reading about this stuff it's because it has nothing to do with me yeah <laughs> I was like that's so true that's exactly it that's exactly it yep no that is the appeal for me a lot of the times even if you're on social media and I defy any person to tell me that they've never done this when you're on social media and you kind of like see something going down oh, yeah. in the comments and you just kind of take yourself on a little deep dive and like, oh, what's this? What are, what are these two people arguing about? Oh my God. Yeah. And then you go to that person <laughs> and look yeah. through their photos because you want to look for the photo that shows them to be the monster that would say something in this yeah. like, thread. And it's, it's like, just, I need to I, I, no one understand wins. this person more. Yeah, like it, it's still, we do it just because we're, we're right. curious by nature. It's, we want to yeah. know yeah. as much as we can know. And it's just, it, it is. It's part of us, not a good or bad part of us, just a part of right. us. Right, that's it. While we don't necessarily have scandal sheets anymore because, you know, technology has moved on past that, we have next door. <laughs> and we have whatever your local city or town's Facebook group is. And that is basically the scandal sheets. Or the letters to the editor of your like yeah. that is that is what that is. It's just a little bit more direct, mm -hmm. more quick, a little spicy. Sometimes a little bit more spicy. Yep. Because you know people people don't have to be great wits to to be on <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> That's for sure. And have opinions, so it can get real wild. <laughs> One of the local newspapers where my family's from still has something very much like um, what was in the, the gentleman's magazine, which they call the opinion line. <laughs> and it's this once a week section that they publish. So people are, can call in. It's still done the same way. It's been done the same way forever. So on Mondays between certain hours, there is a voicemail box that's <laughs> set up that people can call into and just say whatever they want. They can, you know, whatever is on their mind that they want the town to know, they can say it into this voicemail box. And then those get written up and put into the paper. <laughs> that's amazing because it's so, that's such a, a more unfiltered yes. way of capturing someone's opinion yes. than, than writing something down where you can like see what you've written. It's such a wild section because, I mean, it's very unfiltered and people are really just saying whatever their dumb opinion is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will say nice things and like congratulate like a local sports team you know a high school softball team yeah, won a game nice. and like congratulations to so-and-so but much more of it the vast majority of it is people doing page six style complaints about their neighbors <laughs> raging about some some local political thing mm -hmm. and there have been instances one of my, my favorite parts is there are instances of people going back and forth at each other through the opinion line which again only happens once a week wow. so th there are these people who just are in a weird newspaper forum argument <laughs> What's funny is that I guarantee if those people like ran into each other at the grocery store, they would not say a word to each other. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> There's one time, there was a couple of them, 
And I wish I had the actual newspaper so I could read it because it was the wildest thing. But it was a man complaining that his uh, mac and cheese was stolen off of his windowsill. <laughs> <laughs> and he he provided several updates to it over the next How couple of weeks. wholesome <laughs> is that town, though? That, like, the biggest hijinks is, like, yeah, he, he mac was, and cheese from the window. He was so mad. He was wow. so mad about it. One of my favorites, just because, like I said, whatever you want to say, they'll put it in there. And, I mean, I love it. they don't care. But one of my favorites ever was in this town, there is a potable water tank that is parked by a main road. So a lot of people see it. A lot mm-hmm. of people drive by this big potable water tank. It says potable water on the side mm-hmm. because they want everybody to know this is water you can drink, right? Mm-hmm. And so somebody called into the pending line and they printed it and they just such self-righteous <laughs> indignation and said can somebody please fix the lettering on the portable water tank <laughs> i love that, <laughs> oh, love that. It, still to this day if i think about it, it just tickles me pain <laughs> it is it's still here in its various forms and looking back at what it was before it's honestly basically the same <laughs> like, yeah yeah definitely it is largely the same shit that we've been doing for hundreds of years. <laughs> we talked a little bit about the gendering of gossip, right? And mm-hmm. how it's kind of seen as this female fault in a way. Because, you know, the, the ladies, they love to talk. Yeah. But the thing is, is it, it's, not, it's not just women. <laughs> it's absolutely never just women. Let me no, tell it's, you. it's everybody. I cannot tell you how many men that I've worked with who are such bigger gossips than any woman i've ever met like yeah some of the most malicious gossips i know are dudes yes and again it's not a it has nothing to do with whatever sex you were assigned at birth no whatever gender you identify as people just they talk shit yeah it shouldn't be a gendered thing at all because everyone to some degree is interested in gossip let's just take that at face value but B, like if you are of the personality that you spread it a little bit or you get kicks a little bit more than the other, whatever, that, yeah, I've never seen that have anything to do with what gender identity you you know you have. Like it is completely just a human thing. Some people are way more into it than others. And let me tell you, I know a lot of plenty of dudes who are yeah. huge gossips. Huge. And you want to know what else is basically gossip? What's that? If you've listened to previous episodes... You've probably heard me talk about my love of James Gilchrist. (laughs) Aaron very kindly, very nicely gifted me a bound copy of a brief display of the origin and history of ordeals. So, you know, I've been paging through this thing and I've been annotating the hell out of it because I love it. And it actually came at the perfect time. And reading through this and also, you know, reading other resources about gossip in the, the Regency, I realized, oh... This report that Gilchrist wrote is essentially state-sanctioned gossip. (laughs) Yes. The king was like, compile all of the business of these dudes who dueled with each other. And Gilchrist said, okay. (laughs) Yeah. This is a prime example of guy gossip. And even within it, there are multitudes of other examples of guy gossip. Amazing. And I actually, I have, because I've, I've dove in here, I did pull a couple of my favorites that I wanted to share with y'all. Yes, please. If you'll indulge me. <laughs> in reading through 
a brief display of the origin and history of ordeals. One that really stuck out to me and actually caused me to go and buy the court transcripts. Wow. <laughs> I, I told you guys I got deep. <laughs> so there was a duel in 1782 between Reverend Allen and a Mr. Lloyd Delaney Esquire. So immediate facts that were of interest to me in reading this, it took place in Hyde Park and Mr. Delaney died in Grosvenor Square. For anybody who can't recall, Grosvenor Square is where the Bridgertons live. Oh, right, right, right. So there's a, a there's a little historical tie in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe later Bridgerton was around and saw him. <laughs> yeah. not. I'm going to keep talking about this fictional book like it's real, guys. Well, Penelope was across the street. She also lived in Grosvenor Square. Exactly. So maybe she wrote about it in, you know, Lady Whistledown. Possibly. So a little bit of backstory. The Delaney family, they were landowners in Maryland. Hey. considered themselves loyalists to the crown, right? And Lloyd Delaney's brother still lived in America, and he was actually a secretary for Maryland at one point. And Delaney moved. Oh yeah, there is like Delaney Valley around here. That's yeah, probably after him, it's the, it's those Delaneys. Yeah, and so Lloyd Delaney moved to to England during the Revolutionary War because 70, 1782 is near the tail end of the Revolutionary War. But anyway, this duel began over an anonymous Morning Post article. Hey, hey Bates, <laughs> hey Henry Bates. The paragraphing parson was up to some shady business. And he published this anonymous article titled Characters of the Leaders in the Present Rebellion, which Hmm. called out the Delaney family as uh, basically playing both sides. Because essentially it was like, hey, we know this guy supports rebellion efforts in Maryland. He has ties to Maryland. He has Mm -hmm. land in Maryland. And, you know, why, why is half the family here and half the family in England? And basically implied that the land holdings there gave him incentive to support American liberty efforts. And to be fair, Daniel Delaney was known to oppose what he considered controversial laws. Like, he wrote an argument, a legal briefing, called Considerations on the Propriety of Imposing Taxes in the British Colonies. And that argument is believed to have served as a catalyst for the American Rebellion. But he was really just saying, like, there's a reasons why you, the crown shouldn't impose taxes on these colonies, mm-hmm. certain taxes. And he was right. Yeah. <laughs> but even though he argued for things that he believed in, he still considered himself a British loyalist. He was still loyal to the crown. He mm-hmm. did not want separation. Very publicly was like, I just believe in what's right, but I also am still a loyalist to the crown. And so this anonymous article was calling that into question, saying, no, you're not. You, you support these people. And so this anonymous article sparked a three-year feud, mostly through newspapers, (laughs) mostly public. And so Lloyd Delaney, the brother of Daniel Delaney, responded to that initial article, basically saying, like, it was basically an open letter saying, if you want some, come get some. (laughs) And I do do want to... I do want to give you a reading of his open letter to Anonymous. To the anonymous author of the characters of the leaders in the present rebellion in the Morning Post of June 29, pretended to be written in the year 1776, you 
have upheld my brother, Mr. Daniel Delaney, my family, and myself in the most odious and disgraceful colors. I have called upon you to produce yourself and avow your charges, that I might see my enemy and combat him fairly, but you still continue to skulk in the dark. I have used every method in my power to detect your person, but without effect. I call upon you once more, either publish your name or leave it at the printers. Otherwise, you must be content to pass with those to whom you have trusted your secret and with the world for what you know yourself to be, a detestable liar and a cowardly assassin. He was Oh my god. Big mad. <laughs> he was not having it. <laughs> and did he write it in all caps? Basically, <laughs> I have the actual quote as it was written in the newspaper. And that first U is all caps. <laughs> there is some all caps in this. Amazing. He was very mad. And so the Reverend, they go back and forth. The Reverend's kind of like in hiding over this. Eventually they do talk to each other. They have this duel. Unfortunately, Lloyd Delaney gets got during this duel. I do have it on some authority that he did have a Baltimore Ravens jersey on um, as well as, well as a, an Oriole snapback. So <laughs> maybe he's he was repping. pro-rebellion. He, he's he was repping. Rep, repping Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> his, his dying words were, how about them O's? <laughs> how about them O's? And I apologize. <laughs> I apologize to you and everybody in Maryland for that. I'm sorry. No one, no one makes fun of the Maryland accent more than Marylanders, so it's fine. And the thing is, they did try this reverend, this reverend who got into a duel and shot this dude dead. He was found guilty of manslaughter, and he did have to pay the price, which was one shilling <gasps> and six months in jail. <laughs> what the hell? I people, I don't know. Like that you sounds could just like kill, a spite amount. Like that sounds could, like you could know. just kill people. I guess. I don't wow. know, but yeah. So that's you know that's a early Marylander for you. Interesting. Yeah. Part of your Maryland history. Uh, yeah. Delete the the Delaney's. Who knew? Yeah, I had a feeling that they probably there have to be some things named after them in the area. Because yeah, there's a whole whole valley, Delaney Valley. They probably owned it all. <laughs> that goes to show that dudes were out here fully having these arguments making their own gossip yeah in Actually, these pages you know just to interrupt you real quick when you and i and another friend went to that house in towson i believe yeah. that was off of delaney valley road oh i think that, that was sense. that like delaney valley exit was that um, hampton hampton national the hampton yeah, Ham- yeah. yep that yeah which that era was pretty close to it was a little later i think than regency era i can't quite remember but that whole yeah and this estate. is yeah and the the delaney this thing is like just before the regency right um, right 1782 so yeah because they were like the which is falsely written in 1776 yeah right <laughs> like <laughs> how di- how dare you <laughs> but yeah Pretend. i bet i bet the um the hamptons and the delaney's Probably knew each other. Another of the juicier duels here, as we discussed in in previous episodes of this podcast, dueling was generally about property and also just generally about dumb arguments you get into when you're drunk. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, women at this time were also considered property. So people would duel over women as well. There was a duel between a Richard Brinsley Sheridan Esquire and a Mr. Matthews. Hmm. There was a, a young woman. A celebrated vocal performer whose father was a composer. She lived in Bath and ran in those social circles, and she was very well known for her beauty and her beautiful voice. 
she had a lot of suitors. A lot of dudes were interested in her. So she falls in love with Richard and they're engaged to be married, make promises to each other. And one of her other suitors finds out this Mr. Matthews and he is like, he's a jealous bitch. Like, <laughs> he is so mad about it that he writes or causes a paragraph to be inserted in one of their public papers, mm-hmm. which basically made Miss Lindley out to be a ruined woman, question her honor, basically. Yeah. To make her look bad because he was a fucking asshole and mm-hmm. he couldn't take rejection. Or the fact that she preferred somebody else, which, looking at this, honestly, made the right choice. Right. Mr. Sheridan, her betrothed, is like, fuck that. We are not doing this today or ever Mm. because I will not have my betrothed or my lady wife talked about in this way because Mm -hmm. she is unimpeachable. So Mr. Sheridan goes to the printer and is like, give me the name. Give me the name of this person. Wow. And because Mr. Matthews is a, a... dickhead and also a coward he had already left town he was like already on his way so so mr sheridan like went on hot pursuit like he was on his tail because mr matthews had like left bath for london and so they mr sheridan richard sheridan followed mr matthews they had a series of duels wow (laughs) so he finds him along the road in a tavern and Sheridan wins that duel, and he demands that Mr. Matthews put a retraction in the paper, mm-hmm. which is the honorable thing. Yeah, that's fair. Richard won the duel. The shit that Ma- Mr. Matthews said was wrong. He needs to put in a retraction. So duel number two happens because Mr. Matthews refuses, and he's like, I'm not retracting shit. Wow. And so they have another duel. They break out the pistols, and they shoot their pistols. Both of them are fine. No one gets shot. And immediately after that, they're like, all right, swords it is. Wow. (laughs) Mr. Sheridan, he put in the motherfucking work and he won. Oh, Um, good. I think they were both, they were both wounded in that last one with the the swords. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a flesh wound mostly for Mr. Sheridan. And yeah, then he went back to his lady love and married her and... I mean, earned good for him. <laughs> earned earned his wife. Yeah, by sticking up for her honor. So yeah, that that's another one where gossip can be used to hurt people. Yeah, purposefully. Were there any duels that were just fisticuffs? Some of them were. Okay. S- some of them were duels that were fisticuffs. Some of them were duels that were swords, and yeah. some were duels that were pistols, and gotcha. some were duels that were pistols then swords. There are multiple of that. Wow. Where like. They shoot at each other, and that's not enough. Well, yeah, they're probably like, this is an old-timey gun I've got. It's only got, like, two bullets. I'm out of those two bullets, so let me grab my sword. You haven't gotten the satisfaction you wanted, you know? Of, yeah, like, yeah. someone didn't pay. Ne- neither of us paid, so someone has to pay still. Yeah. There is, in this book, I know that you've been reading a lot about the Napoleonic Wars. Yes. Um, and specifically about Napoleon, but one of the duels that's recorded in this report is a duel that was between the Duke of York and Colonel Lennox. Okay. So the Duke of York was the younger brother of the Prince Regent. Okay. He was Prince Frederick. Mm -hmm. And he was basically like the Colin of the group. Right. Okay. Everybody loved him. Yeah. He was like number one cool guy. 
especially compared to his brother. Sure. Who was just seen as, like, a big joke. Yeah. Because he also actually was actively in the military, right? Like, he was right. actually leading a regiment. Right. And that's respectable. Even the Prince Regent loved him. Oh, okay. That's how, yeah, I mean, this guy was, like, probably one of those guys that just had charisma, right? Yeah. Just like a big old golden retriever. Yeah, and he's a well-respected general. This is actually what got me into the Gentleman's Magazine because the initial story was printed in there and I wanted to verify it because I'm Mm -hmm. like, this feels like bullshit. But again, his character, unimpeachable. The only kind of drama that he had in his life was he had a mistress for a while and his mistress started selling officers' commissions, getting them to pay her and saying like, oh, I I can get a warden for you guys. And so that was kind of brought up. I think it was found out that the prince was not involved in that. That was just his mistress being a money grubber. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, this duel is not about this. This duel is actually very dumb. The reasons are extremely stupid. Basically, Colonel Lennox thought he heard people saying that the Duke of York was saying stuff about him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How sensitive is his little ego? Literally, I'm going to read you. This is a quote. (laughs) Okay. The dispute originated in an expression of the Duke of York that... Colonel Lennox had heard words spoken to him at Daubeny's, to which no gentleman ought to have submitted. Hmm. So, it, he it thought is he like, heard something. he thought that the prince was like, oh, Colonel let someone talk to him in a way that he shouldn't have. I don't know. Oh like, it, it's stupid. And so, so and so the colonel gets like real worked up about this. Mm-hmm. He's writing like a circular letter being like, I need to know who who said who's claiming they said words to me <laughs> right <laughs> who put my name in their mouth so he actually then which again stupid because not only is the duke of york a general but he's also royalty so this colonel is an idiot yeah the colonel calls him out during a parade basically oh wow yeah so the duke of york his royal highness was on a parade right mm-hmm. and Colonel Lennox just kind of jumps out and is like addressing him and saying like, <laughs> what were the words that someone, what were the words that someone said to me that you said someone said to me? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Be like, I'd be like, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> That's kind of the Duke of York's response is like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, it's not that serious. <laughs> Ridiculous to be called out in public like that, especially a prince. Yeah. Good old boy, the Duke of York, his response was basically not even answering the question and just ordering him to his post. (laughs) Because he's the general. Yeah. That's bonkers. Yeah, it like real bonkers. And the prince is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, the colonel wanted satisfaction. Wow. So the prince was like, sure, I'll, I'll give you satisfaction if that's what you want. And famously, because again, the Duke of York is this venerated, idolized character in this time. He's someone who's really well-loved and who's a legend of his time, right? Mm-hmm. He's part of the reason they won Waterloo. They love him. Right. So th- the way that the duel was reported is that they met up, they did their paces, and that the Duke of York received the colonel's fire, but did not fire himself. Oh. And that he just stood there and let the guy shoot at him. Wow. And the ball of the gun in the fire grazed his royal highness's curl. 
Ooh. Yeah. He's just standing there like a fucking champ. Wow. Bullet just grazes a curl on his hair, and he's just real fucking cool about it. Wow. That's pretty badass. The other funny element to this is that Colonel Lennox was a part of the Duke of York's regiment. (laughs) So so afterwards- Reasonably, the Duke of York was like, you know what? I think you need to move regiments. Yeah. I think I think you gotta go elsewhere because Jeez. you're a nutball. That's crazy. <laughs> the Duke of York, a cool cucumber. Yeah, sounds like it. I actually have another story for you. It's related in multiple ways. I think you'll enjoy this. So one of the things is when it came to specifically Waterloo and the Battle of Waterloo, there was a ball the night before. The Duke of York was there. Wellington was there. A lot of the the upper echelon of the military were at this ball, and they received their orders at the ball. So it was like this. It was like a fairly major disrupting event. They're having this fancy ball. Word comes in, and they're like, "Get your shit. We're going to Waterloo. We're fighting." Damn, that's got to be super exciting for the ladies there, though. Very dramatic, and actually. Mm There's a quote from uh, Lady Melbourne, who was at the ball. She said that the fatal ball has been much censured. There was never such a ball, so fine and so sad. All the young men who appeared there shot dead a few hours later, which is Aww. very sad. Yeah. So probably also very traumatic Yeah. for people to go from such a high to such a low. Yeah. But there is a story here of interest, I think, to you. One of the people who fought was named Ponzabi. It's a great name. And he was, I believe, Wellington's aide-de-camp, possibly. Okay. But anyway, he wrote up a little entry of the immediate preparation before the Battle of Waterloo. And I'll just read a little snippet for you. He had every reason to expect that the whole of Bonaparte's army would immediately fall upon him before he could collect his army on the position of Waterloo. I was with him, the Duke just in front of the line of cavalry, when we were all observing the preparations and movements of the immense mass of troops before us. He was occupied in reading the newspapers, looking through his glass when anything was observed, and then making observations and laughing at the fashionable news from London. I love that. What a cool guy. Uh, yeah, like I said, Colin of the group. Like, just, cool as a cucumber. Cool as a cucumber. I'm I'm going, to, just so, like this, scandal sheets were at the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. Gossip, <laughs> gossip was being read just prior to the Battle of Waterloo. I mean, yeah, everyone needs a distraction. Right? That makes sense. The general, the Duke of York. <laughs> I love that. I keep thinking of where I know the Duke of York from, and it's from a nursery rhyme. Oh, so when, you know, when we're not living in the middle of a Panda Express, then I would have like baby story time and we do what's called lap bounces, where you put a a baby or toddler on your lap and you kind of like bounce your knees and you sing Mm -hmm. along or whatever. And there's one that's called the Grand Old Duke of York. He had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill and he marched them down again because when you're up, you're up. And when you're down or down, and when you're neither halfway up, you're neither up nor down. And so, like, when you're up, you, like, put your knees up, and the kid kind of, like, jumps up a little bit. Cute. Yeah. So, I don't know. This whole time, I was like, Duke of York. Duke of York. And it's probably it's like, probably that Duke of York. Yeah, I'm sure it is. It probably yeah. is Prince Friedrich. And, yeah. uh, you know, not to end on too sad of a note, but the current Duke of York is Prince Andrew. 
Barf! The Duke of York is traditionally... That makes sense. The second brother. Well... Um, second male. I hope he someone fights him in a duel and he loses. That would be excellent. Yeah, I'll see that. But yeah, so... Uh, everybody gossips. Yeah, I love that. I love that Scandal Sheets were at the front lines. Of Waterloo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Amazing. I thought it'd be good to do a spotlight character of Penelope. Penelope Featherington. Oh, I love Penelope. The Lady Whistledown herself. It's uh, only appropriate that she gets yeah. this episode. Yeah, so I think we've talked quite a bit about how she is such a great character both in the Netflix series and in the books. She's super likable. She's super relatable. She's in some ways like serves as the audience stand in because Mm -hmm. she's like the observer of this, you know, world or whatever. And, and she partakes in it too, but also like everyone I feel like has experience having some kind of unrequited love, um, you know, and standing on the sidelines also I know I have experience being embarrassed about my family or like, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. Like, I think that that's pretty universal too. The actress is a Northern Irish girl. Speaking of family, that is my family's origin as well. And her name is Nicola Coughlin, who is adorable and charming. She's also in a really great show called the Dairy Girls, or called just Dairy Girls. I love that show. Yes, it's very good. And yeah, and it's interesting because they, you know, she's a gorgeous actress, but for Penelope's character, they kind of like uglied her up. They <laughs> with really a, did. With a bad wig. That's something that I really appreciate too, is that like, yeah, she got, she is such a cute person. I, mm-hmm. She is gorgeous. It's even in the books, so it had to be that way that, like, you know, right. she's dressed in the worst colors for her skin yeah. tone. It's not a good cut for her body type or her face. Right. Her hair is done in a way that doesn't suit her. They made her look like a large baby doll. Yeah, and it's because all these choices are being made by her mom. Right. They're not her choices of how she wants to dress or how she wants to do her hair. In the show, she and Eloise are close friends, which is also true in the books. Mm-hmm. But she is seen as slightly more juvenile than Eloise, even though I think they're the same age. Mm-hmm. Because she is trying to get out of the season. Um, she actually doesn't want to be in the season at all. Mm-hmm. And there is a, a part where Marina tells her, because she realizes that Penelope is into Colin, Marina's like, he doesn't see you as a woman. He sees yeah. you as a child. He sees yeah. me as a woman. Yeah. Which was very harsh. <laughs> yeah. But but probably not totally untrue. Like, no. Again, because of like her mother's influence and their friendship, too. Because like, yeah, they grew up together, right? Yeah. And in this world, you know, men and women, they are either related to each other or they're looking to directly marry each other. So like yeah. f- the, ha- to have a platonic friendship, you know, isn't really... Yeah, and that's his that's his younger sister's best friend too. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, again we have the my sibling's best friend. Yeah, right. Sort of thing, which it, makes them feel like a family member almost. It's compelling because they have that um, platonic closeness that comes with like being familiar with each other and each other's personalities. They get along really well. Something that I thought was that I think is really interesting is for Penelope as a character is that she is in one sense in, in her family home and in, in her like actual lived reality 
she does not have a lot of power. Like, she's mm-hmm. at the mercy of a lot of people. She doesn't even have the confidence to be the smartest or the most clever in the room, even though she secretly is. Yeah. She lacks confidence because she is not a beauty. She's a little bit shy, it seems like, in social situations. But she's an observer, and she's smart, and she's clever. So she creates this other world for her to express herself in, which is through Lady Whistledown. And in that world, she has immense power Mm -hmm. over everybody. She's actually probably the most powerful character in the show and in the series. Because she pulls the strings on uh, what a lot of people end up doing and how they make their decisions are based on the things that she writes. There's a duality there. Yeah, and not only does she, like, not have power, but she's, like, not even on people's radar. She is a wallflower, which is funny because, yeah, her mother dresses her in these, like, garish colors, and she, like, visually (laughs) sticks out in a ball scene. But her, because her character is so, you know, quiet and and on the timid side. And, like, agreeable, um, right? Yeah, and agreeable, and, and yeah, and literally is standing on the sidelines. She does not make a blip. And so she can travel in these circles and observe and take in all this yes. information like a sponge because no one's paying her any attention. So, and also yeah, it's like not be suspect. Right. It's like to their detriment that they're not paying attention to her. Because, exactly. You know, she's the one who's ultimately, yeah, making that world go around. And it's very satisfying when you get to her kind of storyline in, in the book series, like her major storyline. Yes. She is overlooked. And like you said, to the detriment of everybody else Mm -hmm. in her discovery of her power that she has and that she doesn't need to be timid about it. She's a great character with a lot of really good growth. And yeah, and just like someone who she doesn't use her gossip maliciously. It's an outlet and sure, some of it does affect people in a bad way. Well, and what's funny is that she really puts a lot of red herrings in there and points any kind of focus that might be on her away from her because one of the people she talks down about the most is herself and her family and her dresses. Yes. <laughs> she's a genius in that way because she shit talks her own self. And so no one would suspect that it's this quiet little Penelope Featherington because lady Whistledown notoriously cuts her down when she's talking yeah. about, you know, fashion or, or whatever. Yeah, and it's just, it's really great to see. You don't really see it in this season. I mean, they, they just do the reveal at the end. That's wild to me that they did it at the end of this first yeah. season. But they did the reveal at the end that, you know, it, it's been Penelope all along. I'm excited to see her story moving forward and how she blossoms. You know, one of the things, and I'm sure we'll get into it later on when we talk about that specific book, but one of the things I didn't like about her storyline is before she falls in love, she slims down. <laughs> Like, yeah, she. It's, it's said that she's like loses the baby weight, but I, yeah. I really hope they don't do that in the Netflix series. No, I hope stupid. they just like dress her in a way that, that brings out that actress's gorgeous. I yeah, body and face. She has an amazing body. She has yeah, an amazing body. She's got a gorgeous face. Super cute. Yeah, I love the storyline though, and again, I can't wait to see it. She's someone who, in real life, she survives. And has survived by making herself small and right. unseen. Like that right. that's how she's learned how to survive. And really her storyline is about her breaking out of that yeah. and feeling herself. Yeah. And knowing that she has the smarts and the wit to be a force of nature in the world. Yeah. What I do love about the actors who play Penelope and Colin 
is that they really lean into the like hashtag pollen like yeah. couple name and there's so many cute behind the scenes pictures of them just hanging out it seems like they truly are they truly get along and like there's these really sweet behind the scenes dance rehearsals where they're like mm-hmm. waltzing together and i just that's another reason i love the show so much is that all the actors and everyone involved just seems like they're having the most fun yeah. um and that comes across in the show which i love and they are a very cute pairing I'm yes very into so cute to them getting together so l i actually have a would you rather Uh-oh. for you oh no It is about as simple as you can get. But this question came to me a couple weeks ago. I myself struggled to think about what my answer would be. And I was like, okay, there's no like, because I know whenever you give me a would you rather, you know, there's some, we go into like, well, okay, this would be this situation. This would be this Mm -hmm. situation. Like what, you know, unpack there. This one is just so straightforward, but I'm going to ask you. Okay. Would you rather... Fuck Lord Featherington or Baron Burbrook. Wow. Can <laughs> uh, Lord... equal weight, right? Can Lord Featherington even fuck, though? Great question. <laughs> I don't think he can. Great question. And hey, sex can be a whole lot of things. Sure, it's not just sure. penis and vagina penetration. Sure. You can have a ton of other sex. Can he not? Is it implied that he's... Infinite? he did get tricked into i was gonna say i think in that last scene right he's trying to go after a, a lady of the night yeah he thought he was gonna get some yeah so i guess he can fuck yeah ah oh, but man. like gross factor wise they hold pretty equal weight right they do um yeah. they do is there money involved at all um i mean we can say it's you're like it's like disregard like the debt stuff Okay. Who am I in this situation? Um, who are you in this situation? Am I like an equal to them? Am I like um, some bar wench? Like who who am I in society to them that I have to make this decision? Which one? Okay, yeah. You're like a bar wench. Okay. And someone is like pistol to hand <laughs> or pistol to head for you. Mhm. All right, girl, you got to do it. One or the other. Is this before or after Nigel Burbrook um, gets his multiple beatdowns? Before. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say it's like for, it's like episode one. They found themselves in some tavern, and for some reason you're in this situation where, mm-hmm. yeah, this is where I fall <laughs> fall apart with would you rather, so I'm not going to. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, they're, so, um, so they're like, you got to fuck one of us. But so. you're like, hey, lady of the night, you get... 10 guineas or whatever. I don't know. But the the same amount of money, right? Sure. Yeah. But you got to pick one of them. Man. So there's no like love involved, I should say. But it's like, you got to do one. And they're not trying to romance you. No, they're, they're themselves. It's just like down to clown. Their pant falls just flap down and they're like, here we go. (laughs) Like, So, so yeah, there's factors involved, like, who smells better, who, like, makes weirder noises, who, like, I don't know, there's, yeah. So here's, <laughs> so here's one of the things, right, okay. that I'm, I'm taking into consideration with this. Okay. Is that Nigel Burbrook is a bachelor mama's yeah. boy. 
who seems to be not very well controlled. I think she lets him do whatever and she lets him, she just loves him no matter what. And so she's not enforcing like any standards of hygiene or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think that for Lord Featherington to survive in Lady Featherington's household, Mm -hmm. he has to probably keep a higher standard of hygiene. I don't think she's going to let him be stinky in that house that she filled with such gaudy beautiful things mm-hmm. and not near her clothes she cares so much about appearances yes. that she's not going to let him be gross right too gross at least so i do think that lord featherington is probably cleaner which is a huge huge check mark on his mm-hmm. side do i know anything ahead of time about like how good like is there any reputation of either of the two of like how good they might be (laughs) Mm, no i mean i think you know what we know which is that you know lord featherington has what is it three daughters Mm -hmm. um we can say you already you know that there's like a rumor that burbrook has a child somewhere Mm -hmm. but you don't know what you know you know that they've done the duty before okay um and you know that lord featherington you know has three children all right but I don't know anything about how like good in bed they might no, be. No, no. Okay. So based on that, and also because I do have a slight thing for Rob Brydon, I will say <laughs> Lord Featherington is my man. Yeah. Okay. I'm I I yeah, I went back and forth for a while, but and you know me, I would do anything to not fuck Nigel Burbrook. But I also think It's also a major factor. The only thing I would say that for me was in Burbrook's corner was that he is a slightly younger man yeah. and that like he is pro- like if it's just a sense of getting it over with. True. He'll be like one and done whatever Featherington yeah, who knows? The, the, yeah, what that Lord do Featherington do. does not want to go home. <laughs> I can't tell you that much. That's true, true. He is avoiding being in that house with his wife and, and children. Yeah, but I would still, yeah, go for Featherington. Yeah, no, I, I think. I think that actor is same. attractive. <laughs> yeah, I think he's more much more attractive. as his, Yeah, as his actor self. And as, actually, yeah. Burbrook, I've seen like a few like of that actor's tweets. And yeah, stuff. he's not, when he's, he's not Burbrook, he's, he's not yeah. so repulsive. Right, right. The the dude does remind me of Rob Brydon, and I yeah. have a little bit of a thing for him. So I get that. I, I like that. I will just think. I, I will, you know, <laughs> think of You'll Rob Brydon. Like, Rob Brydon, do your Michael Caine impression. Yeah, yeah. I'll be thinking of <laughs> I'll be thinking of Rob Brydon doing his Michael Caine impression. <laughs> well, getting through it, getting my my ten guineas. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yep, doing it for queen and country, you know? <laughs> Good question. Thank you. But no, neither of us want to fuck uh, Nigel Burbrook still. No, for anybody sorry, keeping Nigel. count, for anybody keeping count, neither of us want to do it. <laughs> That's right. It hasn't happened yet. It has not happened yet. <laughs> and probably, probably will never. Yeah. Because he's such a terrible character. Yeah, he's a gross dude. He's so unappealing <laughs> in every single way. But thank you. That was a good one. That was, yeah. Uh, I, I did have to think that through. Um, <laughs> there were multiple considerations, but I feel very confident. Yeah, it's a good choice. Yeah. A thousand expressions of gratitude for joining us on this episode, dear listeners. And thank you next to filmmaker, activist, and friend of the show, Kwame Phillips, for gracing us each episode with his ducal vocalism. You can check out more of his work at KwamePhillips.com. That's K W A. M-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S dot com. 
And you can reach out to us via Twitter, Instagram, and email at tontalkpod. That's T-O-N-T-A-L-K-P-O-D at gmail.com and social media. Until next time, XOXO, Aaron and Elf.